Good morning. Happy Father's Day. For this Father's Day, we have one of the Bible's most famous father stories. The scripture passages for today come to us from Genesis and from Matthew. Our first reading is from Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. The second passage is from Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have ever said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And finally, we read from Matthew 19, verse 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Alan Rada, one of the pastors on staff, and it's a joy to be with you to share today 
Now, what the scripture uh, seemed to indicate uh, did not have a real relationship to Father's Day, except in one sense. Uh, but uh, happy Father's Day to everybody. And <clears throat> we are so glad to have dads around. Uh, I'm talking about what you might uh, see in this scripture, a subject called God's Surprises. Now, it's interesting uh, that uh, Lori and I uh, were joking the other day. You remember when Lori preached on Mother's Day, the subject was circumcision? <clears throat> and here's what the lexicon of the Presbyterian Church presents to me on Father's Day. So they, they, there's a sense of humor there as well. <clears throat> but uh, there are, you know, there are many ways to categorize people. We've all done it. This person is conservative. This person is liberal. This person is idealistic, head in the sky. This person is down to earth, pragmatic, just the facts. And this one loves to be surprised. That one hates it. I was with a lady last week uh, who was a member of our church uh, when her family and friends threw a 102nd birthday party for her. And the balloons and the cake were delivered, and uh, the people said, surprise. And her reaction was, wow, wonderful, I can't believe it. This is great, 102, here I come. Ruth loves surprises. My cousin did not like surprises. Time and time again, she would say, don't ever surprise me. I hate them. And a couple of her friends who didn't believe her <clears throat> decided to test it one day and put a box present on the sofa table and she opened up and uh, this musical jingle started and then all of a sudden the pop note and out pops this jack-in-the-box clown. Well, that test blew their assumptions about her uh, thinking about surprises and she screamed and banged it on the table until it quit working. My cousin hated surprises. I was reading an article by, uh, there's a profession called a surpriseologist, which I'd never heard of until uh, <laughs> recently, but uh, she was delving into the love-hate relationship with surprises and people who experience them. And she wrote, uh, events we don't expect, for some it's an experience of wonder, but for others when they're startled by anything like that, good or bad, it's frightening and they seek to avoid that sort of thing. Well, I'm not a surpriseologist, but I do know this, that we all sometimes experience things that we would classify as unexpected events. Some people put it in their bucket of uh, life's sweet mysteries. Others are thrown off balance, and they react with disbelief or skepticism. And that brings us back to the story that was read a few minutes ago a story about a surprise, a big surprise. The story about a married couple, Abram and Sarai, who were getting on in years. They were nomads, uh, they moved around a lot. Uh, they provided grazing for their flocks that way. Uh, years ago, God had appeared to them. And he said and promised, I will make of you a great nation. However, that was years ago. No child came to Sarai, and in desperation to give Abram an heir, she asked him to father a child with Hagar, the maid. But the plan for that child was not God's plan. 
And if you understand the history, you know how that story unfolded. But now more years have come and gone. Abram and Sarai are now 95 and 99. They're at the time of their life when most of us would have downsized, sold the big house, gotten rid of stuff that is longer needed, and settled into an easier lifestyle. Like Sarai, we would not be contemplating having a baby. Oh yes, there was that matter of that promise that God made, I'll make of you a great nation, but they probably hadn't talked about God's promise for quite a while, and maybe they'd even forgotten about it. But years later, the Lord appeared again to Abram and Sarai and initiated a divine renaming ceremony. God changed Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai's name to Sarah. And this was something big in the Hebrew tradition because to change a name for an adult meant a change in who that person was and who that person would become. The old name Abram meant exalted father. The new name Abraham means father of any. <clears throat> By changing his name, God set Abram apart as his servant with a special destiny to be the father of a great nation through which he would bless the earth. And the same with Sarai, whose name meant my princess. But now he changed it to Sarah, which means mother of nations. God told Abraham that Sarah would have a baby and become the mother of nations. <clears throat> we, we didn't read it in chapter 17 right before, but what was Abraham's reaction? Like Sarah, he fell down on, uh, on the ground on his face and he laughed. And then a little bit later in a midday uh, heat, Abraham sat at the opening of his tent and three strangers appeared out of nowhere and as was the custom, Abraham offered them hospitality. And as they sat, one of the strangers asked, uh, well, by the way, where is Sarah? Now, how did that stranger know her name? Oh, no, we know. It, it's, it's the Lord. And the Lord said, I will return, and when I do, she'll have a baby. Here is that surprise again. Sarah was inside the tent preparing food, and listening in, and when the stranger, or the Lord, got to the part about having a baby, she couldn't contain herself. She laughed. I could almost imagine her thoughts. So like a man to be talking so confidently and nonsensically about a matter about which he has no understanding. No way. I'm not buying into that surprise. Well, let's ask, what's the meaning of Abraham and Sarah's laughter? What made them laugh? Or for that matter, what makes any of us laugh? Many commentators have spoken of Abraham and Sarah's uh, uh, laughter, and uh, I know of at least one book written on it. But the key point here, and this is important to remember, that the Hebrew word for laugh in this particular passage is different than the words for laughter in other parts of Scripture. In this passage, the word for laughter does not mean delight and joy. It means forced joy. In other words, the laughter of Abraham and Sarah is not coming from a source of real joy, but something else, incredulity and unbelief. 
When I was in graduate school, I took a course on humor, and uh, I learned uh, this, that in most of the theories about humor, <clears throat> there are two elements present that make something funny, incongruity and surprise. Incongruity is when the humorist puts together two or more things that are contradictory. And surprise is when that person introduces something into the narrative, an idea or an event that uh, is totally unexpected. It's incongruity and surprise together that often are behind the humor of many comedians that we have heard and still hear. For instance, uh, Woody Allen. When Woody Allen was asked if he believed in an afterlife, he said, oh no, I don't, but I'm taking along an extra pair of underwear in case. <clears throat> That's incongruity and surprise joining together as humor. But this was not the case with Abraham and Sarah's reaction. Behind their attitude was not only was not surprise, but incongruity and disbelief. Well, we've all experienced examples of this, haven't we? A laugh that is the reaction of someone who is bitter about something, hoping that we will reinforce it with our own laugh. And I think that's what represents Sarah's laughter. She's heard that story before, at least for 24 years. And to be, and now in her 90s, and Abraham nearly 100, Sarah's long since given up on that hope. She can laugh at the preposterousness, the incongruity of an old woman having a baby, one foot in the grave and the other in a maternity ward. Sarah expects no surprises from God, no novelty, no violations of the world she's grown accustomed to. And when she laughs, Sarah is laughing the laugh of someone who does not believe that God can keep his promise. And so with feeling, she shouts from the tent as the stranger identifies her laugh, I did not laugh. But the Lord's response was, yes, you did laugh. Have you ever thought about how embarrassing it would be if your thoughts were heard even if you didn't speak them? So whatever you were thinking was broadcast for everyone to hear? I hope that doesn't happen. But I thought of me preaching this sermon and going out in the door and greeting you and uh, hearing you say out loud, I thought it would never end. <laughs> God has heard Sarah's thoughts. And even though Sarah shouted from the tent, I did not laugh, the Lord knew differently. Without even turning in her direction, he said, yes, you did laugh. And then these poignant words, words, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he said, I'll return and you'll have a baby in a year. Sarah tried to cover up her laughter, but it didn't work with the Lord, who knows the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. When we really don't believe, do we, like Sarah, demote God from his place of power and promote ourselves? Are our ears like Sarah's close to the Lord when the words come out, is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah laughed when God did not, and it was not a laughing matter to the Lord. I think all of us do tend to struggle with this problem at times, don't we? Perhaps like Abraham and Sarah, we have prayed for something that has not happened according to our belief 
of how it should happen. We feel that life is passing us by while we wait, struggle with doubt, wondering if our prayers are really being heard. For those of us who may, <clears throat> who may have suffered some tragedy, and I know there are some in this room who have, some may wonder, where was God when this happened? Maybe it's a family problem that has dragged on for years. Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't he answer? It's then that we're tempted to kind of settle into a kind of predictability that we call the norm. And from that place in our hearts, we manage, manage our spiritual lives. Instead of looking with hope at the thought that God's mercies are new every morning, open to the wonderful surprise that he may bring, we replace that thought with one that says, I really don't want any more surprises. I don't want newness. I want my slippers at night beneath my bed when I, where I left them. I want my orange juice and muffin. At this point in my life, I really can do without any surprises. The Lord's words to Sarah is anything too difficult for the Lord, I think does speak to many of us who struggle with doubt at points in our life or unbelief, as Sarah did. How can anything be too difficult for the Lord who spoke the universe into existence? How can anything be too difficult for the Lord who was tempted as we are, but overcame the doubts brought about by the tempter? Think with me for a moment. Is there something in this story that the Lord wants to teach you, me, us? Is he perhaps bringing us to the end of our human strength, leading us to trust in his ability alone to do the impossible? Or possibly not answering us because of our faith, becoming something based on habit and routine rather than wonder and expectation of what he could do if we would fully trust him? Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Remember, this is not the only surprise in the scriptures. The Bible is full of surprises. A God who comes time and time again to his uh, people when they've given up, when they have concluded that that is all there is and they've been forgotten. A God who comes particularly when their backs are against the wall and their hearts are full of fear. A God who surprisingly confronts evil, redeems the unredeemable, binds up the wounds, and dies so courageously. A God for whom nothing is too difficult. What could be more surprising than God coming into this world in the birth of a child born of humble parents in the village of Bethlehem? What could be more surprising than a man who taught so brilliantly, healed so lovingly, reached out to the marginalized so graciously, and died? And then the greatest surprise of all, defeated death. What can be more surprising than an angry, bitter man determined to kill Christians? So suddenly turning around and spreading the news of the gospel, as he did with Abraham and Sarah, he got a new name. It was Saul, it became Paul. He who transformed the church and wrote letters that continue to challenge and inspire us in our journey with the Lord. I think we all know, and I hope we know, that God's surprises don't stop at the close of scriptures. I'm sure many of you could tell me about the ways in which you've experienced God somehow coming out of nowhere 
with an unexpected and wonderful breakthrough in your life. Even when you thought it was lost, God doing some amazing things, even beyond your human capability. I hope you could tell us some of those stories. In the earlier service, uh, uh, there was a gentleman uh, that I referred to uh, who uh, is a member of our church, whose son David uh, was a drug addict. And uh, at an early age, he began not only using them, but selling them. And uh, despite godly parenting for almost 20 years, uh, David became so heavily addicted that he lost his job, his family, he lost his home. He moved into Phil and Marguerite's home, the parents, and they had to kick him out eventually. And they were at the end of their rope. But Phil and Marguerite never lost faith. They kept praying. And they turned their son totally over to the Lord and said, Lord, the only thing that will ever keep David from killing himself is you. And believing that nothing was too difficult for God. Long behold, David put his life back together again. Got back with the Lord, got his family back, and, would you know, became a pastor. And in a couple hours, he will move to his pulpit and preach to his thriving congregation in California. Again, I ask, is there anything too hard for the Lord? That's a key question. If you answer yes, there is, you know what happens? Your world, our world constricts. Our universe closes. And in many ways, God is no longer fully God. Life is probably manageable, but soon, sooner or later, we become like Sarah in the tent, in the face of disappointments and the incongruities that we experience. If the answer is yes, then some things are just too difficult for God. We've concluded that God is not fully God. We've decided to live in a closed universe where everything is stable and reliable, but spiritually disappointing. However, if we answer no, there's nothing too hard for God. And if we put our faith and our heart into his keeping, the possibilities can be endless. God is radically free to keep his promises despite the odds. If the answer is no, then we've taken the leap of faith and decided to live in a world that is full of possibility, hopefulness, life, and surprises. Well, let's fast forward. Let's complete this story as was read. Sarah does conceive, have a child, and names the child Isaac. Do you know the Hebrew name, uh, meaning of the word Isaac? It is laughter. Sarah laughs again and says, God has brought laughter for me. But it's a different laughter now. It's a joyful laughter. It's a surprising, unpredictable, unlikely grace of God laughter. You know, the Lord invites us to do the same. I do pray and hope that each one of us who follows the Lord will experience at least one event in life that defies logic and has no other explanation but God. That we will experience a God of promise and wonder, full surprises, who will make a way when there really is no other way. 
a God who is, when we're afraid, resigned and without hope, settling into predictability, who is going to come with new possibilities. A God so surprising that we are enabled to live our lives with the release and with the joyful laughter that God intended. A God for whom nothing is too hard. Let us pray together. Lord God, thank you for the lesson that uh, we are taught here, that uh, when we come to the end of our rope, you have not quit on us. When we have settled into a boring predictability in our spiritual life, you try to find a way to arouse us to know the wonder and the surprise of what you can do. I pray that you will allow us to be open to your surprises as we live our days out. And Lord, we trust you and we thank you for being our God. Be with us all now as we contemplate what you might do next. And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.